Good evening. It is good to be together, to sing praises to God, to pray to God, and now to study from His Word. I encourage you to take your Bible and open to Romans, the sixth chapter. You have mail from God, and this week we're reading in our epistles. We're reading Romans, the fifth and sixth chapter. And then on Wednesday nights, if you'd like to come back in this very same room, uh, various uh, passages from this very same two chapters will also be studied in a little greater depth. And uh, Tim Martin is doing a tremendous job a lot of good things are being said about that class and about the, the Bible knowledge that's being taught and gained. And if you haven't found a Wednesday night class, we would encourage you to check that one out this coming Wednesday night. Your life will be blessed as a result of it. When we think about the greatest gift that has ever been offered, what is it if someone just said to you, what's a great gift that you received? Hopefully all of us, immediately we would first think of the grace of God. The beauty of the word grace it is it is not only a gift, but it means generous gift. There's something about a generous gift because we know we didn't do anything to deserve it. And usually we can't help but look at the giver in a different way. Does that make sense? Have you ever received something from someone, from a person, and it was far more than you thought that you should receive from them. And probably for the rest of their life, you looked at them in a little bit different light. Listen, when we talk about grace, it's not only what we have received from God, but it helps us form a deep love and appreciation for God. And so in Romans, the sixth chapter, he begins with that question that, that it's stated like this. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, did they really believe that, okay, grace came because we're sinners. And so if I continue to sin, that's just going to give grace more opportunity to abound. And keep in mind, abound means to overflow. And so it seems to be that he's addressing the idea, okay, some of you would think that the more I continue to sin, the more God's grace would abound. This is wonderful. I'm still getting to fulfill all the desires of the flesh that I want, and yet all of the spiritual blessings are still coming from me. That may sound far out to some of us, and yet it may not to some of us. Do you find yourself fulfilling the fleshly nature and then just saying, well, God understands I'm human. Listen, there's not anybody here that's going to live perfectly. But if we truly are going to be individuals that live under this abounding grace, there definitely has to be a crucifying of self-will. As a matter of fact, that very notion that would cause someone to say, I'm going to continue living in sin, that grace may abound. Notice how strong the language was in the sixth chapter in verse two. Certainly not. The King James there would say, God forbid, and then makes this explanation. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? I want you to think tonight, about the, the very concept that is taught in verse 3, 4, 5, and 6. And I'm going to refer to them quickly because really this is just the introduction of the lesson. And the last few times I've preached, I've gone a little long and I want to be gracious to you, okay? And so, so 
I, I want you to think about in, in verse 6 there, he talks about that we need to crucify the old man of sin. And usually in the scriptures, we call that repentance. And notice though, we're crucified with him. Christ was crucified on the cross. He died physically for the sin of the world. And now we need to be willing to make a sacrifice of death. And what we put to death is a life of sin. And that's why he can say daily, you take up the cross and follow me. Repentance is not something that we do once and never think about it again. We continue to live a life that reflects repentance. But just because we've crucified that old life of sin doesn't mean that the past guilt of sin has been forgiven. You see, even though we said, I'm going to repent, we're still guilty of past sins that's separating us from God. In other words, we're still spiritually dead. So when you go back and look in verse three and four, we are to be buried with Christ. They took Christ off of a cross and they buried him in a tomb. In verse three and four, we are buried in the waters of baptism. As a matter of fact, he even says we're baptized into Christ. So we're buried with Christ now, did God leave Jesus dead? No, in the last half of verse four and verse five, he makes it very clear that it was the power of God that resurrected Christ. Christ was dead, but now Christ is very much alive. We went into the waters of baptism, but now pause here, who is ready to be baptized? Someone who is ready to crucify the old person of sin and allow the Lord to reign in their life instead of sin. And that's what we're getting to in just a moment in verse 12. So hang on to that thought of reign. Who is ready to be baptized? Someone that is ready to allow the Lord to reign in their life and not sin. And when we're ready for that, and we've crucified the old men of sin, we're ready to be baptized because then the Lord will perform a spiritual surgery and he will cut away the guilt of our sin. And that kind of language comes out of Colossians, the second chapter, verse 11 and 12, where he uses the illustration of circumcision and talks about that that's what happens in baptism is that there's a spiritual circumcision circumcision that takes place. And what happens? We are given life. But notice again, in the last half of four and in verse five, he talks about that this new life that's given to us is in Christ and it is with Christ. Now I know that was a lot said right there, but now take that right there and tie it back to verse one and two. Can we remain in sin that grace may abound? Was grace found over here? No. Grace was not reigning and ruling in our life over here. Sin was reigning in our life over here just before we put it to death. When did grace abound? Grace abounded when our sins were taken away and we were given life. And so he says, you're living here. You're living in a grace-filled life. If you're gonna talk about a life that continues in sin, that would be over here just before you crucified the old man of sin. You see what Paul here does? What he does here is he goes back to how we became a Christian to show that there was a time when sin reigned in our life and it was before we repented and crucified sin, before we were baptized into Christ, and before God gave us spiritual life again, resurrecting us. And so now he's saying, if you think you can stand on this side of baptism and crucifying the old man and say, I wanna let sin reign here so that grace would abound, he said, you forgot what you did. 
Paul, what did we do? You put sin to death in your life. Have you gone back and resurrected the sinful man? Or have you been resurrected by the grace of God as a forgiven person? What does a life look like that has been forgiven where grace abounds? Tonight, I'd like for you to listen to three key words. Not that we'll develop all of this through here, but I want you to notice the word reign, who reigns in your life. If you're living a life where God and grace reigns, that's very different than a life where sin and death reigns in your life. Are you an instrument? You are an instrument. But whose hand are you in? Are you in the hand of God to be used? Are you in the hand of sin and Satan to be used? When you figure that out, you're going to figure out who your master is. Are you a slave, a servant of righteousness? Or are you a slave and a servant of sin and of unrighteousness? I just told you the whole lesson, but let's let Paul tell us so that it comes with authority and, and it, it helps us to learn the beautiful life that's offered to us as a grace-filled life and the regrets that we should have if we find ourselves tonight having a sin-filled life. And the reason I use the word regret is that is a part of repentance. I have to come to a point where if I'm allowing sin to reign in my life, I say I'm sorry for that and I regret that and I want to change that. I want to crucify the old man of sin. I want to turn to Christ and I want to be baptized into Christ and I want God to resurrect me and I want to live a life where God reigns in my life. How does this look? Let's look back to verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. Monarchy. We can only have one reigning in our life. Here he uses the word sin, how oftentimes we would personify sin and sometimes even say Satan. So here he's saying, don't let sin reign in your life. Don't let Satan rule or reign your life. If you do, what are you going to do? You're going to let your fleshly passions that fuel lust, sinful desire, you're going to let your fleshly passions push you through life. They're going to direct you. They're going to guide you. And it's not going to be good. It's living very much like an animal. But over here, we can allow God to reign in our life. And it would look very different. But before we develop that, that's all that was said in 12 was don't let sin reign. But did you notice it began with the word therefore? In other words, what was said in the previous verse was important to what also was just said. So let's back up and see what was previously said. Verse 10, for the death that he died, talking about Christ, the death that Christ died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. But now look at verse 11. Likewise, so Christ died for sin and he died once for sin, but now he lives to God. Now think about that. We're resurrected. Who do we live? Christ lives to God. And then he says, likewise, which is going to tie what Christ did to what we are to do. Likewise, you also reckon, let's just know Paul was Southern. I love that phrase. It's consider, reckon yourselves, consider yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
And so he goes through what Christ did. And he said, look, Christ died for sin. And he was buried. And God resurrected him. And, and you may say, well, of course. But don't take this as a course. He says, he resurrected Christ. And you know what Christ did? He lived alive to God. Christ didn't come out of the grave and say, now let me find some sin I can get involved in. He arose from the dead to devote and to continue to devote his life to God. And now he says, likewise, you crucified the old man of sin and you were buried with Christ and you were raised from the dead. Likewise, devote your life, you were dead, devote your life now to God. Who's going to reign your life? God or sin? The passions and the lust, are they going to fuel you? Are you going to look to God for righteousness? Now, he really doesn't develop heavily that second half of who's reigning your life. He just immediately jumps in with another somewhat, it's a, it's a very descriptive word. It's almost like the word itself is an analogy. And he says, Let's talk about instruments for a minute. So he's talked about reigning, and then he says, let's talk about instruments. Look at verse 13. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Now notice how he's still personifying sin. Let's go back over to this side. He says, okay, if you're going to let sin reign in your life, what you're going to do is you're going to bring the members of your body, and you're going to present them to sin, and you're going to say, Here's the members of my body. How do you want to use them? Well, of course. What is sin going to say that it wants to use our body for? Sin. Unrighteousness. But now look at the next half of this. So he says, instruments of unrighteous sin, but the contrast here, don't do it that way. Instead, of doing the, instead do it this way. Let God reign in your life, but... Present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. I had in, in high school a teacher that when it came time for test, almost every time he would say, clear your desk of all paper, pencils, notebooks, and the only thing I want on your desk is a writing instrument. And we'd all have a writing instrument on top of the desk. An instrument. Is an instrument good or bad? Is that pen good or bad? Well, it depends whose hand it's in. You could take that instrument and you could hurt someone with it if you wanted to. You could write a scathing note. You could write lies about someone. Or you could put it in someone else's hands and you could write beautiful biblical teachings. You could write very encouraging notes. You see, it depends whose hand the instrument is in. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about here in verse 13 when he says, present your members, present them as instruments, and if you present them to sin, you're going to present them as members of unrighteousness. Now, I want you to think about the members of your body. And I want you to evaluate your life and see whose hand are you in. Imagine approaching sin personified and say, Here are, here's the members of my body. You can have my mouth, you can have my eyes, you can have my ears, you can have my hands, my feet. You use the members of my body however you want. 
and sin personified would rub his hands and he'd laugh a little and, and he'd say, great. I can move you into all kind of unrighteousness. I can let things pass through your lips that will just overtake your body and, and, and I, can, I can help you become addicted. I can help you become in an altered state so that you'll do all kind of unrighteousness while you're in that state. Oh, and then I can have you to talk. I can have you to talk in very ungodly ways. I can help you learn how to gossip. I can help you lie better. Oh, I can do a lot if you just give me the members of your body. Oh, your eyes. I can help you see things that you ought to not see. I can help you close your eyes and overlook things you ought to see. Give me your ears. I can help you hear things that you ought to not ever hear. I can cause you to go out and even look for things to hear that you shouldn't be hearing. What about your feet? I can take you to ungodly places. I can put your hands, another member of your body, I can put them in ungodly things. The body, the members of your body, what kind of instrument are they? It depends whose hands they're in. You could bring your life instead to the Lord and say, Lord, I want you to reign in my life and I'm going to bring you the members of my body and their instruments to you. God, whatever you want me to see. And God would say, I want you to see righteousness. I want you to see people. I want you to see souls. I want you to be like my son and I want you to see the ones that other people overlook. I want you to see humility. I want you to see those that are hurting. I want to give you ears that hears the cries of those that need help. I want to give you a, a mouth that, that knows when to talk and when not to talk. I want to give you lips that knows how to pray. I want to give, give you lips that, that you can be able to sit down and you can encourage someone deeply and especially from the word of God. I want to give you feet, feet that can go. I want to take you places where a Christian is needed. I want to give you hands that can do works. An instrument of righteousness. But only, only if God and God's grace is reigning in our life. Where does this leave us? It leaves us as a servant, as a slave. But of whom? Let's drop down to verse 16. Do you not know? that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. Which one have you brought yourself to? One of them is reigning in every one of our lives tonight. Only one in each life. But tonight, you are either under the reign of sin or you're under the reign of God and His grace. Your members are being used for unrighteousness. Or your members are being used for righteousness. In other words, we have to either say, I am a slave, I am obedient to sin, or I am a slave and I am obedient to God. To His grace. That's right, obedient to grace. Titus 2, 11 and 12 strongly teaches that. Grace teaches us to deny the ungodliness and the unrighteousness and cling to that which is sober and godly and righteous. Have I learned to present my bodies as a righteous instrument? If so, God is my master. 
and I'm his servant. Here's the good news. At some point in our life, we all find ourselves over here. And hopefully at some point in our life, all of us, either tonight or in the past, we've said, I don't want to stay over here. I want the grace of God to abound in my life. I want to put to death sin. I want to be baptized into Christ for the remission of those sins. And you know what? That's what verse 17 is all about. We can make that change. Let's read that. Look at 17. But God be thanked that though you were, past tense, you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became what? Slaves of righteousness. You can change. What, what do you do to change? You obey from the heart. It's sincere. You obey from the heart. What? That form of doctrine. There's a doctrine that comes from where? Well, that's where this epistle really began. You remember in, in Romans, the first chapter, in verse 16? For I'm not ashamed of what? The gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation. What is the gospel? It is the good news of Jesus Christ. What is the good news of Jesus Christ? Don't think that the good news of Jesus Christ is only the grave and the resurrection and even the crucifixion. The gospel, the good news of Jesus also includes all of his life on this earth. The gospel is us being able to see truth and righteousness personified in Jesus Christ. And so that's why, if you're looking back there at Romans 1 and 16, where he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Notice in 17, in it, in what? The gospel of Christ is what? The righteousness of God is revealed. It is in the gospels that we learn the, and I don't mean the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I mean the gospel as in the good news, the whole teaching of Jesus Christ. It's where we learn what is righteous. And then look in verse 18. It's also is where we learn what stirs the wrath of God and what does stir the wrath of God. It's revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and what? Unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Listen, the gospel the good news of Jesus is about a righteous life that was a perfect sacrifice on the cross that death could not hold him and we see the power of God as he resurrected to continue to live for God. If we are going to die be buried and resurrected, we too die with him, buried with him, raised with him to live for him. And that's the gospel story. It's all about grace. It's all about righteousness. It's all about life. It's all about God. Without the gospel, it's all about sin. It's all about death. It is all about unrighteousness. And we get to decide which one do we want. Let's look at the last verse, verse 23. For the wages, Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death. 
But the gift, that's grace, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You want to stay over here. Over here has paybacks. The wages, you get what you deserve. The wages of sin is death. You will remain separated from God for an eternity. That's the payment of sin. But what God wants to give us is a gift. And notice it's a gift of God. And that gift is eternal life. That's where what separates us from God is our sin has been removed and we're resurrected to live. But notice that eternal life is only in Christ, the glorified one, Jesus, the man of Nazareth. He really was the glorified one, the Messiah. Back to this morning's lesson. Eternal life is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If he's not your Lord, back up to the previous verses of 16 and 17, if he's not your master, you don't have the gift of eternal life. If you're not putting the members of your body into his hands and saying, I'm your instrument, you don't have the gift of eternal life. If God's, the gracious God, is not reigning in your life, you don't have the gift of eternal life. Now go back, I'm, uh, we're summing this up, but just think how simple this is. Now, go, now just in your mind's eye, go back to verse one and two again. Hey Paul, can we just continue back here sinning and sinning and sinning, just a life of sin? Don't crucify self-will, just let us live by the flesh. And can grace abound? And Paul takes 23 verses to say, you can't live over here and get the benefits of over here. You got to this point over here because you put sin to death. And you came up out of those waters with God's grace saving you. And at that time, you committed your life to say, God, I want you to reign in my life. I want to present my members of my body and put them in your hands and you use me in a righteous way. I'm your servant and you're my master. Now that doesn't mean over here we never sin. That's why 1 John 1 verse 7 is so powerful. What it means is over here we continue to walk with Jesus and his blood continually cleanses us. Tonight, it's really powerful to think about all of these epistles. These epistles were written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God wrote these words to Christians. Tonight, is grace abounding in your life or is sin abounding? Isn't it wonderful that God's grace is extended tonight just as real and just as powerful as in the day of Pentecost Acts the second chapter the gospel is just as powerful tonight if the apostle Peter or the apostle Paul was preaching to you 
The gospel has the power to save tonight just as much as if Jesus Christ were standing in the flesh right here. Brethren, all I'm trying to say is that this message is powerful. Grace is abundant. And if we walk away from it, what are we thinking? Not clearly and not righteously. This evening, if your life is not right with God, why not, by the grace of God, get it right tonight? Crucify that old person of sin and seek to be immersed into Christ. If you've walked that life, but yet you've left that life, come back to Him tonight. He is a gracious Father that runs to meet those who will return to Him. If we can help you in any 